Hello there, and welcome to episode number 356 of Smart Podcast Trashy Books. I'm Sarah Wendell from Smart Bitches Trashy Books, and this week we are going to host our book club discussion of Rebel Hard by Nalini Singh. We are also welcoming Aria Marston to our collective mayhem for her first book club episode and her first podcast. Welcome, Aria. We are going to deep dive into everything we loved about Rebel Hard by Nalini Singh, and there was a lot that we loved We also talk about how our tolerance for alpha heroes varies by genre in which they appear, and which lines pulled us out of the story, while which characters pulled us back in because we adored them. Please be warned, we talk about the ending, the middle, and everything in between, so if you haven't read it and you want to, you might not want to listen unless you want all of the spoilers, okay? Now, I do have a content warning at the end. When Carrie discusses her grade for the book, She talks about the realities of alcoholic family members and the caretaking that happens in that situation. So if that's something that would be upsetting for you, what you want to do is skip ahead about two minutes when she mentions Caroline Bingley. Most podcast apps have a 30-second skip, so if you skip forward two minutes, you'll skip right over that portion of the show. We were so excited to record this episode, but before I continue with the intro, I also want to note that currently we are having a thunderstorm because it's spring and in Maryland we have severe weather and it really means severe, my gosh. And uh, my dogs are not here for it. They really don't enjoy it. So if you hear thumping or panting or whining, that's because they've decided they need to come into my office and tell me that the weather is severe and they dislike it and we should go to the basement and play video games. So if that happens, I apologize for any strange background noise. And if we catch thunder and, you know, thunder makes you relax, then I hope this is a relaxing intro for you. This podcast episode is brought to you by Rogue Most Wanted by Jana McGregor, the latest in the Cavendish Heiresses series. It is a smart bitches hide your wallet pick for June 2019. True facts. When an upstart duke challenges Lady Theodora Worth's claim to her inherited Scottish earldom and the Lady Kirk estate, Thea is suddenly in need of a husband, in name at least. An elderly neighbor with a thoroughly modern sensibility and a dashing great-nephew just might be the answer to Thea's prayers. Ever since he was jilted as a young man, Lord William Cavendish has been entirely too devoted to his family's estate to wed, but he agrees to meet the woman his aunt has taken under her wing and introduce her to possible suitors. But after just one meeting with beautiful, spirited Thea, Will is determined to help her reclaim her title. And even more so... He can't stop thinking that perhaps marriage to this bold, passionate woman may be the one thing he's been missing all along. Redheaded Girl says Jana McGregor writes like a warm, cozy blanket. If you love Eloisa James's humor and Christy Caldwell's passion, then Rogue Most Wanted is for you. Rogue Most Wanted by Jana McGregor will be available wherever books are sold on June 25th, 2019. This podcast episode's transcript is being brought to you by the Patreon community. Thank you to everyone who has supported the show on Patreon. Your pledges make sure that every episode is accessible to everyone, and I am very thankful for your help. If you would like to join the Patreon community, it would be awesome if you did. Have a look at patreon.com slash smartbitches. Monthly pledges start at $1 a month, and with your pledge, you are communicating to us that what we do here has value, and we are very grateful for your support. 
So again, have a look at patreon.com slash smartbitches. I do have a compliment and also a text message because I forgot to turn off my cell phone like a bad podcaster. You will never guess what has just happened. A call on my phone has been blocked and the number is 000 000. Zero, 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 zero. So I'm glad we missed that call. Uh, I'm glad I forgot to turn off my phone number because this is a super professional intro. I do have a compliment. The compliment this week is for Rachel. Rachel, there are words in 17 other languages that describe how excellent you are, but they are so effusive and intricate, they can't fully be translated into English. So keep being as awesome as you are. Now, we are going to discuss a lot of books and movies and television shows and so many things in this episode. Do not worry. I will have links to all of them in the show notes. And at the end of the episode, I will have a preview of what's coming up on Smart Bitches and a terrible joke. But for now, let's start this book club discussion with Amanda, Aria, Carrie, and me. On with the podcast. Aria, before we get started, welcome. Thank you. <laughs> I'm so happy you're joining us. Welcome to Smart Bitches. Are you um are you are you a little excited to hang out with us? Um, uh, mostly terrified, but I'm keeping it together. <laughs> no, really. So you know that I've read romance for like many, many years now, since I was like eleven. And Smart Bitches is one of the first sites that I like ever really read. Cause when you Google like when you Aww. Google reviews, like your your site comes up like almost first. Yep. So like I've never like you know, I didn't comment or anything until like this last year because I felt really awkward mm-hmm. being relatively young. I mean, most <laughs> like I actually don't know what the age makeup of, of romance readership is, but I, I mean, I imagine that many fifteen-year-olds don't comment on your site. I don't know. Well, when when I started reading, if it makes you feel any better, I was in high school, um, and so I graduated high school in two thousand and seven. And I came aboard the site because for my bachelor's degree, I needed an internship and I had asked Sarah. Oh, so okay. You're not, I I feel like some of our audience starts reading in high school. So I don't think you're alone there. Oh, definitely not. There's a difference between like reading and like being part of the community. So like the second bit is really terrifying in my opinion. <laughs> it's, it's hard to talk about things when everyone is so much older than you and wiser. Well, I will say this, engage as much as you want to. Like, I love getting into the comments if I post a review or, you know, like the books on sale posts, but don't ever feel obligated that you have to pop in. I know Sarah is torn on like commenting things because sometimes because she's the owner of the site, she feels that if she pops into the comments to chime in, it might halt or stifle whatever cool discussion is going on. Oh, yeah, I'm a walking conversation stopper. <laughs> like if I show up in the comments, it's like, zoop, and I'm like, well, damn it. I'll just hush. And also, I also feel like if I've posted something, I've already said my thing, and I want to hear what everyone else has to say. But I can also tell you that the majority of the site lurks and doesn't comment. Commenting is a smaller percentage of the total audience. So you're definitely not alone in reading, but not participating. And that's okay. It's totally fine to do that. I'm just glad you hang out with us. And I'm glad you're part of the site now. Congratulations. Thank you. All right. So Aria, I will start with you. What did you think 
of, for you, rereading Rebel Hard by Nalini Singh? I first read it, I think, on release day last year. Because you're was, a big Nalini Singh fan, right? Oh, no, I'm just a casual reader. Like, first time <laughs> author. I, I don't know who this person is. No, no, that's not true. I freaking love Nalini Singh. <laughs> I have an entire bookshelf like an altar of worship, as I like to call it. I own <laughs> autographed copies of both the U- international and American editions of the Side Chasing series. I am a fan. There's, <laughs> I think I said to you that I couldn't like ever write a review for her because I knew it wouldn't ever be critical and it would be useless and it wouldn't be very interesting. And I think that's true. <laughs> that's my level of fandom. So you're a, you're an avid active yeah. I feel like I should have downloaded some really dramatic Bollywood m- music to like play mm-hmm. behind you while you're talking. So you first read this on release day and then you reread it recently, right? Yesterday, last night. You're a very fast reader, aren't you? Yeah, I took about four hours. But, uh, but yeah. what's interesting is, I think I told you this, is I love her paranormal, mm-hmm. but I don't always like her contemporaries for reasons. But this is, I think, the one contemporary that I really love of her. So that was exciting to reread because of that, because of that reason. Have you read? So I'm. I feel like I'm in the same boat where I like her paranormals, but her contemporaries, I'm iffy on mainly because she has tropes or characters that aren't my bag. Like um, the Rock Kiss series, I'm not a fan of rock. Oh my stars, god, I so hate I- them. <laughs> I don't like reading about rock stars at all. You know that, but you know that Kristen Callahan series that everyone raves about. I hate them. did not like the first book. <laughs> what is it? Idol is the first book. It was just I love her Darkest London series, and I love her New Adult College series. She is, but the yeah. first book in that series was different. I will say, not I would for say you, I hated huh? it, but it was very. It's not what I was expecting. So I should not clarify. I don't. I think she's a great writer, and I do like her other series. I don't like the series because I don't like rock stars. It's not her. It's the trope. Yeah. I But I loved um, Nalini's – so the Rock Kiss series, the first book has a rock star hero. And then I think it's either the second or the third book, Rock Hard, that has the rugby player. And the he calls the heroine, like, mouse because she's so tiny and mousy. I really liked that one. Um, but this is only the second contemporary I've read by Nalini. So I, I'm definitely with Ari on this one. I like her paranormals more, not saying that contemporaries are bad. Oh, I have a theory about why I don't like her contemporaries as much, but I don't know if you want to get into I that now. I really like, no, bring this theory on. I want to hear about this theory. Okay. So she is the queen of writing alpha heroes. It is her thing. She is very good at it. She does different types of alpha heroes, but they are nonetheless alpha heroes. And my tolerance for an alpha hero is so much higher in paranormal. Like, we all have, like, a line of tolerance, right? There's, like, so much that a hero can get away with. Like, I can't do dark romance because my line is below that. So my paranormal, like, tolerance line is, like, Lothair, let's say. (laughs) Like I like he really skated that line for me, but in the end, it was okay. And of course, her heroes aren't like Lothair; they're you know like a level below in possessiveness and whatnot. But like she writes, she's so good at it, and it's like 
something we all love. And then she brings that exact kind of hero into the contemporary world. And they react similarly to like jealousy situations or being possessive. And I'm like, but I don't want that person in real life. I don't like you in real life. I don't like that behavior. It's funny you should mention that because I feel like, and I might be jumping ahead, but fuck it, whatever. (laughs) But the hero in this one, Raj, I didn't feel like he was alpha at all. So I feel like that's why I I like this one. I, I, I thought he was a great hero. So I thought, I think it's interesting that the contemporary we wound up choosing for the book club is kind of the exception and I, to that rule. Yeah. And maybe no, that, maybe I that's why it was 100%. selected. That's why I like this one so much. I mean, don't he's still possessive, right? He There's like two moments I'm like, yeah. Eh, yeah. I don't like you that much. But for the most part, it's not like her other alpha heroes in contemporary. I like that. He's very self-aware. I mean, there's, yes. there are some major moments where he really makes a big mistake and he has to sort of walk back that mistake and go over and be like, yeah, I totally screwed that up. But he's very self-aware in a way that I really appreciated. I, I remember, like, for example, in in your notes, um, Arya, you talk about how there's a scene early on where they're they're working through this whole arranged marriage meeting, first meeting, and she puts way too much sugar in his tea. Oh my god, I love that scene. And, in, and it's and I loved it for so many reasons. One, he has to drink it because otherwise he's insulting her family. And two, it's so good. Yes, and she, she he knows that she's messing with him. But the thing I loved about it was that it was sugar. It was too sweet. It wasn't salt. It wasn't something like lemon juice. It was too sweet and I love and then the idea he calls her the next day without missing a beat he asks how many how many things of sugar did you put in and he doesn't <laughs> even have seven <laughs> I loved that about them like the, he doesn't like try to play coy no. she's like no I did it you're right yeah that was like a, a quarter cup of sugar and you're just gonna have to deal but the fact that it was sweetness I just that was just the perfect top to that one little scene where you had this sort of secret conversation and the self-aware thing like so like the in like when you first meet him he's like oh I want a traditional wife that'll like stay at home and because I want because I want a feeling of home and the the reader's like well we know the heroine's like not like that but like you still like like him because he's like oh um what did he say I like it's what I want and it's I would never try to be with someone who isn't that because that would be bad for both of us. He's very self-aware about what he wants. And I appreciate that, even though we all know he's not going to end up with someone like that. And when it comes to the possessiveness, interestingly enough, we had this exact same conversation for my romance book club on Sunday. And we were reading um, The Madness of Lord Ian Mackenzie by Jennifer Ashley. And the hero in that one is very possessive, but he comes from a, a traumatic background where you know, he's on the autism spectrum. I believe he was like locked away in an institution for a while. And so he has these like very real feelings of like abandonment and trauma. And to me, I think it's worth looking at if a hero or heroine is possessive, where is that stemming from? Is it stemming from, you know, like Raj was abandoned and he just wants to be loved and he doesn't want to be looked down upon. Um, So I feel like I could forgive his few indiscretions there weren't a lot but yeah. I could forgive in that aspects because like I just saw how earnest he was in trying to um just 
be loved and express his love. (laughs) And he was thinking ahead because what he was thinking about was, I want to have a family where my children know that they have a home that is safe and that there will be someone there to take care of them. And what he was trying to do is create a better future for himself and his future kids. And he had a very specific way of thinking that that was how it should happen. Um, and I love that he learns to, to, to bend, but the, like, you're right. The, the reasoning behind it made his position understandable. He's not being an alpha just because he's dominant and domineering. He, yes. right. you know, like, like he's, he's I, I get what you're saying. I agree completely. So what about the heroine, Nana? What did you think of her? I love her so much. Oh I'm, my trying gosh, to, me too. I'm trying to think of like a specific reason why I love her. And it's like, no, everything, everything she does is why I love her. <laughs> she, you know, there's a scene when she's like, when her, one of her friends is like, oh, you don't have to go through this arranged marriage thing. And she's like, no, I'm not like that. I want my family to love me. I can't just abandon them. Like my family is so important to me. And it's, Everything she does, she's so thoughtful towards everyone else. She loves her yes. family so much, but she wants, like, like she runs away. Like she doesn't run away, but but she's not willing to let her love of her family to destroy her own dreams. And that to me, like the fact that she got what she wanted and got that happily ever after, like she got everything. She got to keep her family. She got to get her dreams. Like that's she's perfect. So, I liked her for the most part. But there is like a caveat, and I think it kind of ties in to like our, our later discussion that will happen about the overall events and obstacles mm. that Nana and Raj have to go through. But I do like that, you know, Nana's very introspective and she's like, I I want to get married and I want to be supportive of my family, but like I need to find out who I am first. And I liked that she had that self-awareness of like, I I can't marry someone. I can't give someone that commitment when I'm still trying to figure out who I am as a person and what I want to do and my dreams and my goals. Um, because it's, it's always hard being in a relationship when you're in that state of flux on like a personal level. Mm-hmm. And I think it takes a degree of maturity, especially you know, for a woman in her late 20s to realize like, shit, you know, I've been living kind of in the shadow of my sister, trying not to make the same mistakes, trying to be loyal to my family. And I've spent so much time and energy doing that, that I've kind of like forgotten to take care of myself. So I did like that about Nina. What didn't you like? However. (laughs) No, I'm (laughs) curious. (laughs) Um, Personality wise, like I had no problems with her. I liked that she, she was very upfront with Raj about like I'm I'm not there yet. I'm not at the point where you are. I did not like the scene where she just like leaves, doesn't really tell anyone. I thought she was running away. You oh, I love that disagree. scene. <laughs> I so I'm thirty, roughly Nana's age, and. I feel like that would be, and I'm coming from a different cultural perspective. Like I, I moved out of my house away from my parents very early, very young. So I, I can understand Nana needed needing to get out of that space to give herself time to think. I just didn't like the way it was done. 
I suppose, where she just kind of like, all right, I'm leaving. Goodbye. You know, my best friend will will handle everything. Um, and I, I don't say that out of like, it really bothered me. And I can understand why it happened. I just wish the the details were a little different of how it happened. No, I get that because and that's that's my only complaint. No, I understand because it is such a big turn, right? Everything changes after that moment. I think the reason yeah. I didn't have a problem with it is because she was so trapped, right? It's not even that. Yeah, I agree. It's not even that she has to go. Like she lives with her parents. Like when you live with your parents that long and you've like never really lived alone and you have to go home to them every night and you have to like take care of dinner and there's no privacy. It puts yeah. a drain on you. And it, like when she's panicking about her future and she thinks, Oh my God, I'm getting married like in a couple months. Like I understand why she didn't react. Like the best thing to do would have been like immediately talk to her parents and be like, I can't do this. Right. But she wasn't ready to have that confrontation. Like the most like, a mature thing to do would have gone is to go to her parents and say, I can't do this right now. I can't marry him. Give me time. But she wasn't ready to have that confrontation. They weren't ready to hear that either. They weren't ready. Like, look how they reacted like right afterwards. I do love yeah. that scene though. So they have to run. Like she has to run away. And even though it's not done in the most like best way possible, I don't think she had a choice otherwise. I think of that scene, like I, when I first realized like, whoa, she totally checked out. Like she bailed. She is out of here. And I was sort of shocked. Like it seemed so out of character. And then I realized um, there's there's a thing where I sort of I, – I, a term I use for when you're sort of growing up and you hit your first, okay, no, I'm not doing this the way people expect, expect me to do it. I call it playing the F you card. Like I am going to just say <laughs> hard no to this. Like absolutely well, no. Well, the title refers to her, right? Rebel yeah. Nerd. I don't that think it's her the, I don't think it's Raj. I think it's her. Oh, it's so, totally her. Yeah, she's rebelling. And the thing is, she like you said, she gets everything she wants in the end. And I was so happy for her. I feel like at the end, when you have these romances where it's clear that the the main couple have two different visions of what like their happily ever after looks like. And how are they going to come to that kind of agreement or compromise? And, you know, sometimes it doesn't shake out the way I want to. I feel like someone makes more concessions than the other or whatever. But in this case, I felt like it was such an even match where they really came to a fantastic arrangement where they're both happy. I was happy with like how open they were about their communication and what they want and, you know, how they were going to meet in the middle. So I was I was worried at first, given how Raj wanted a more traditional marriage arrangement with, you know, a, a wife who doesn't necessarily work, who kind of takes care of the household. And Nana is up front. She's like, I don't want that. Like, I don't want, I want a career. I want adventure. I want to be able to do things. I feel like at the end, their compromise that they they have, no one's really sacrificing anything. Yeah. And, okay, you know how the ending is kind of like a baby epilogue, right? That, see, I hate a, a baby bit, yeah. epilogue, but I like so, this one. Well, that's what, that's exactly what I was going to say. And I think she had to show that because how else could she have shown that it all worked out with the kids in the home and the 
like job obligations. Like I feel like she had to show that. I think why it worked so well is because it was such a big time jump. It wasn't like a month or a year. This was like seven years ahead. Um, Not really a baby epilogue. Yeah, it's like a a future, a family epilogue. I don't know, but I I hate a baby epilogue, but I really liked this one because I – because it jumped so far ahead and really showed like the solid foundation that they both have and also filled in the the blanks before their child was born yeah. and the arrangement they had with like work um and what she yeah, was I doing. It. I also and this is all very spoilery. Sorry folks. Um one thing that I particularly and this is a very personal thing loved about that scene is that she's got her kid in a backpack and they're traveling. And, they're like in Thailand yeah, or like Indonesia. Yeah. And when, when, my, when my older son, who's now 13, when he was eight or nine months old, we took a trip to Montana and we went backpacking and I had him in a little hiking backpack. And I remember my grandmother was like, I can't believe you are traveling so far on a plane with a baby. And I'm like, they're so portable. Like he was at the age, just pick him up and go. Right, and he was at the age where if you put him down, he didn't move very much. So he was extremely portable. And like we we were in where were we? We were in Whitefish, Montana. And I I called the grocery store ahead of time to make sure they had baby supplies. And this woman was like, "What? Where do you think you're going? Of course we have baby supplies." <laughs> I was a first time mom. I, I you know give me <laughs> give me a small amount of slack. I was a first time mom, but I tramped all over uh, Whitefish Mountain. I think it's big mountain. No, it's Whitefish Mountain now with with my son in a in a backpack. And so when we get to this scene where they're traveling far, far away places with their kid in a backpack, I'm like, yes, yes, you are. That is awesome. <laughs> because it's the it's the baby and the family, but it's on their terms. Yes. Oh, I love that so much. Okay. Aria. Mm. It's time. Oh, Bollywood illusions. Oh my gosh. So when <gasps> I was reading this and we got to the first proposal. I was like, Nalini is just just pouring the Pride and Prejudice illusions in here. There's the bad proposal. There's the letter. There's all of these major beats. And then I was like, oh, wait, but that's from a movie. And, th- and then you wrote your notes. And I was like, oh, my gosh. She poured everything she loves into this book. How many Bollywood illusions are there in this in this thing? There's so many. And I think I tried to count them. And then I gave up. because. Yeah. <laughs> Oh man, <laughs> this is this is the song of my childhood. Not a lie. <laughs> Have you started dancing yet? My 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 toes are twitching. <laughs> you know, I can see the scene. Like I know exactly what is happening in my head right now. But um. Aww. So how many allusions and nods to different Bollywood films did you – there were so many scenes. I was like, this is clearly a Bollywood scene. This is clearly a Bollywood scene. Like, were you delighted by that? I was. And, you know, we all – there's also so many Pride and Prejudice scenes, right? So there's allusions. They talk like Raj reads the book. Some of the scenes here, like Pride and Prejudice – but, and that's really construction No, I, yeah, that was hilarious. But it's really interesting because, like, a lot of Western readers would grasp that kind of homage and say, "Oh, this is so cool." And then you have a completely different kind of sect of readers, like me, who sees who sees this other stuff, and we're like, "Yes, we don't ever see mm-hmm. this ever." And then we all like cheer, like cheer up and like curl and 
cry and whatnot. It really is like, and I don't like to ascribe uh, motivation or presume that I know what an author was doing because most of the time I do not. But I really feel like Nalini was just taking everything that she loved and putting it in this book. Like 100%. This movie. I agree right? with and you. It's just this glorious like hug of all the all of the best love scenes and dramatic moments. So what were some that really jumped out at you? Okay. Um there's so many. Okay, I'll I'll stick to like Okay, so the sister's name is Mothery, right? So mm-hmm. that I don't know, this isn't maybe maybe it's not deliberate. It's possible it is unintentional. We have to get in a lead like weigh in <laughs> i know she has to i am gonna interview it. her i am gonna interview her i can ask yes. her so the sister's name Mothery, and there's a really famous actress called Mothery dixit in the 80s and 90s who was such a beautiful and glamorous dancer and she was like in all the big films and the entire time i was picturing that actress as Mothery because she is just perfect fan casting for that for that role and at one, Aww. do you remember the scene when they're picking out saris and they're like, you look like Madhuri Dixon and Aishwarya Rai? Yes. They're like, oh, you look yes. like, and I don't, like, those two actresses are a very deliberate choice. They're extremely glamorous. They're, you know, beautiful dancers. I, did I show you, did, did you see that link I sent you, Sarah, with the song where they are both dancing and Dave Das? Yes. Yeah, so those two actresses, the ones that they reference in the the book there's a movie called Dave Duff and it is such a beautiful dance it is so beautiful and both like I guess Mother Dixit is amazing and I think that is one clear very illusion and then what else so there's a scene in the very beginning and she's seeing all those really terrible guys and the guy is like rating her food it's like this is a 4.5 and the grandma yeah, and the is grandma's like, like I, yes, I made yeah. it. And it's like, there's like, she has so many bad attempts at matchmaking, so to speak. And that's just like, there's a scene in Kalahonaho when there's so many like bad matches and it's like so awkward and so mortifying. And there's like just many scenes like that. Um, what else? Oh, should I talk about the disownment scene, which I think is oh, really important. The one um, with, with the, uh, the mom. Yeah. Oh, please yeah. do, because this okay. is so... I did not know this. This is amazing. I loved that oh my scene gosh, in this book, so by it's the way. a really great scene independently, but it's also really interesting if you think you... So I feel like I'm putting... Like, like Nalini, like, may not have thought this, but I am thinking this. So, like, I don't know if this is, like, subconscious on her part or if it's intentional. Okay, so, Amanda, do you want to, like, summarize what happens in the book? I feel like <laughs> I've been talking a lot. <laughs> no, it's fine. If it's the scene we're all talking about, Nana wants to move out. And the her parents don't take it extremely well. Her dad is like, if you do that, I'm going to disown you. You're not welcome in this house. Um, and I think, you know, her parents are kind of carrying some leftover feelings about the fact that their eldest daughter ran away. Um, and then there's this moment when the mom and throughout the book, it's kind of stressed that, um, Nana's mom will kind of go along with with whatever her, her dad is doing. Um, very docile and traditional, so to speak. Yeah. There's this moment when she announces that and the dad is like, well, if you do that, you know, we're disowning you. You're not welcome in this house. And her mom loses her 
shit. And she's like, she's like, this is not happening. I let you do this the first time. I didn't get to talk to my eldest daughter for six years and I'm not doing that again. And then they go out in the backyard and she throws a trash can lid at him. And it's amazing. It's wonderful. And then it's probably my favorite scene in the book. Raj says something like, this wasn't in the script. Just like, it is like, (laughs) like, they talk about their lives as a movie so many times like it's very meta it's, it's but amazing. like i can i can picture him doing it in like a stage whisper <laughs> like a conspiratorial whisper this was yeah. not how we blocked the scene guys so yeah so that's exactly what happened and again i don't know if this is intentional but man i, I think, think it is i think I, it's and true. i've been going back and forth on this like what if this was just her thinking of it and it's like no but what if it's an allusion to the movie i'll just say it Nalini, you got to tweet at us, confirm or deny. I I will feel really dumb if this is not true and this is just me making things up. Okay, so the song that Sarah played from earlier is Cubby Cushy Cubby Gum. And in that movie, there's this really rich family. The oldest adopted son is disowned because he marries this lower class girl. And the mom is like not okay with the estrangement, but she's like Nana's mom. She's like kind of docile, very traditional. But she abides by this. We're not ever talking to, to that son again. And then this this happens. This goes on for 10 years until the youngest son goes to London and like conspires to get all of them back together. And then there's a scene at the very end when the mom, who ha- like Nana's mom, is so, I, I, I don't know if docile is the right term, just very reverent to what the dad wants. I don't know what you yeah. call that. She like acquiesces. Yeah, referential like is maybe what? the right. Like I don't. Like, I, I feel referential. Like, I think docile is a. I'm not what I'm. I'm not trying to say that she's docile. She's very. She's very I wouldn't strong, say like she's right? deferential. She's not a submissive wife. But like she, you know, um, she defers to him. Yeah. She defers to his his authority. But also, even though she was against the estrangement, she didn't say, "Oh, I'm going to go against you and talk to my son for ten years." But there's this, in the film. There's a moment. Mm-hmm. Like this is she hasn't talked to her to her son for ten years, and she's like kind of like almost dead inside, and she says like my this is a approximation quote she says like my mother told me that a husband is like a god, no matter what he says, no matter what he thinks, he's always right. You brought the son home today, right? We gave him love, right? He became part of our family, right. And then one day he left home and went away. Wrong. You let him leave. Wrong. You separated a mother from her child. Wrong. Our family shattered to pieces. Wrong. And then she says, well, then how does a husband become God? God can't do any wrong, can he? My husband is just a husband, not God. And then she leaves. And it's so emotional. And I always cry at the scene because she is the reason why this entire estrangement ends because she finally stands up to him. And she's like, I cannot take this anymore. It's been 10 years. I want my son back. Stop being a moron and just end this. (laughs) She doesn't say that, but I think the connotation was clear. And she reaches a point where she's like, why? 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 Just because he marries someone that they don't approve of. Like, this is not a reason. And- I think that scene was also like a good breaking point for Nana to to show that like you know at least her mom doesn't see her as her older sister. Her mom doesn't want to repeat the mistakes of the past. There is a separation. 
between the two of them, you know, um, because a lot of like a lot of Nana's insecurities have to do with her sister. You know, Nana constantly talks about how she's like flat chested and she has to wear glasses and her sister's so beautiful. And the first time that scene, that scene where she, she describes Aww. herself as a negative. No, And the first time oh my God, she brings like Raj around, she's like, she's not worried, but she's like every, every man always looks at her. You know? But it's also, I don't know if you noticed, her sister has lighter skin than she does. I didn't and pick up on that. So, no, no, no. They mention it all the time. And it's she doesn't actually think, oh, my sister is lighter skin and she's more beautiful. Because she doesn't think that. Like, she knows she has self-worth. But she's aware that there's this perception among society that her sister yes. is lighter skin. Everyone thinks that that is a marker of beauty. She's compared to lighter-skinned oh, yeah. actresses. Hers, and she is dark-skinned. There is that moment where it's one of, like, the arranged dates. And one of the oh, yeah. uh, parents of the date, like, mentions something about how her skin is darker. And, like, her her dad says something in relation to that. Like, saying, that, you know, like, my daughter's beautiful. And, you know, he's an idiot if she doesn't think you're beautiful. Um, but that was the only time I, I picked up on it. She refers to her her dark skin a lot and and yes and Madhuri's yeah, light skin constantly constantly and, and it's in it's this additional layer to the to seeing herself as the negative um, of of her sister that she's not going to do what her sister did she's going to obey all of the rules um, and she's not perceived as worth as much because she has dark skin she's constantly looking at her. Um, at herself. And there's, there's all these little tiny moments where she sort of pushes her self-esteem back up a little bit. Carrie, are you here? Hi. Hey, Hi, Carrie. Carrie. Hi. Aria, let's, let, let's talk about rock hard or rebel hard. We're not rocking. We're rebel. <laughs> wrong one. We're ha- rock wrong. hard is another one. Wrong hardness. My apologies. <laughs> we were talking about all of the Bollywood references and the pride and prejudice references. I imagine the pride and Pre- prejudice references just ran up and gave you a massive hug. Yeah. Yes, they did. But also I'm in the middle of this string of reading these adaptations of Pride and Prejudice. And so by now, to be honest, like the actual references to me just kind of seem like, well, every book is like that, right? (laughs) (laughs) They are all Pride and Prejudice now. Yeah, I I did. I did really like that. And I I really kind of want to read it again in light of, because when I approached it, I didn't really approach it in that light. And so I want to kind of go back and, read it again from that light but yeah you know you've got the sister with the scandal and the terrible uh, proposal oh dude proposal um i don't remember did we have well the oh the the um there was like several relatives that kept getting sick but his dad (laughs) you know with the well since i'm dying you better get married right now and i'm like whoa okay uh, Aria, I'm I'm not sure because like I don't have an extensive knowledge of like Bollywood movies, but I watch a lot of Korean dramas, and it's not a Korean drama unless someone gets a terminal illness. <laughs> is like, I don't know if that's true in every Bollywood movie, but like, is there but always it's not out of place that someone Definitely gets like you know <laughs> really sick? Is that like a common thing in like? 
<laughs> I don't know if the getting really sick thing is common. I know. That, I think the apparent the parental guilt tripping was a plus. Yes. That was oh, that's a plus. That is just. I have this theory that um, to identify a culture, you need to identify what item they wrap in a dough and then cook in some way, and then you need to know how much guilt can be leveraged by parents. <laughs> that's how you identify like how much guilt and what are we wrapping in pastry or dough and then doing something with and then you'll know like that's all did you have a favorite scene in this book are you are you asking me i'm asking all of you so you can all talk at the same (laughs) time no carrie go first if you have a favorite scene no i just madly raced into the house screaming (laughs) and i'm late for work so um yeah, so I had a little bit of traffic on the way home. So in California, no. <laughs> I frame my thoughts, and then I'll sound like, "Oh my God, so dazzlingly intelligent!" Not oh so. Um, we already mentioned the the mom's scene. Mom throws a trash can. Lid. I loved it. That is <laughs> probably my, one of my favorites. And I know this is a very minor thing, but it made me laugh in like a stupid way when one of Raj's like construction workers called Sense and Sensibility Sense and Shampoo. <gasps> yeah. <laughs> I don't know why, but yeah. I that was the funniest thing I've ever heard. I would read an entire book of Raj and his crew giving him shit. Like those were some of my through that you could see that was his other family that they felt comfortable enough to give him shit and that he would get teased for all of the things that um that that Nana would bring him and there was this community that was like you're the boss but we're still gonna give you shit for all this because this is hilarious. Like, Nana sends him flowers oh, yeah. to his work site. Oh, girl, that's a baller move right there. That is hell. My headcanon right is that they have a book club at the construction site every week. Oh, I would love that. Oh my god, I'm gonna email Nalini and be like, because you know, if you subscribe to her newsletter, I think this is so brilliant. She will send out short fiction, deleted scenes, little stories of her characters you know, between or, you know, after the books. And I, I really want her to now write the construction crew, yes. crew book club. Like, like they're, all right, book club meeting. And what, what food does Nana bring? And what book are they? Oh my God, Aria, that is the great, greatest idea. The, She's going to be like, what are you talking about, Sarah? I think they have a book club, <laughs> but they have a guy book club. So, so in my limited experience, right, guys, they don't want to set the meeting, right? They don't want to be sitting around. but at work, it's obvious that they're talking about the books all the time. Like when they all agree right while well, they're typing drywall. Yeah, when they all agree that Wickham is a loser. So it's like the construction type of club. And why is it not a sitcom already? I just this would be yeah, so good was- televised. What the, the the construction? Yeah, I think this would be a great like TV movie. No, the <laughs> the book in general. I think it would be a great movie. Oh, it would be so good, wouldn't it? It would be an incredible. Bollywood movie or miniseries would be a good miniseries. Just for like the scene where, you know, a bunch of buff construction guys are talking about. Aria, what about you? Did you have a favorite scene aside from mama's going to throw a trash can lit at you because you've been an idiot? Yes. I've written, this is my, I don't know if other people connected to the scene like I did. There is a scene where Madhuri is helping Nana put on a sari before 
that yes. rich person's wedding who I kind of forgot the name of but um Pinky. And yeah. yeah, that's her. And Nana's like, oh, it's so hard to put on a sari. Madhuri's like so good at it. It's like one more example of how she's like not as good as her sister. You know what I mean? It's like, mm-hmm. it's like she sees that Madhuri can wrap this really complex sari and she's like, I can't do that almost. And then, but Madhuri like comes over and helps her and they laugh and they tease. And it's like, I don't know. It's so. I, and they pick I don't out know. earrings. Like she asked yeah. me, like, do you want to color block your earrings? So, so I, like, I don't know if you've ever put on a sari. It is no, really. I have not. So I have, I have three weddings this year. I went to one. Oh, yeah. Dude. I went to one in January. I have one in two weeks. I have another one in August. And I'm actually not wearing a sari because I hate it so much. <laughs> it's, <laughs> well, it's not that I hate it. It's just everyone in my family is so terrible at wrapping them. And we rely on other family members <laughs> to help us. And it's just easier for me to wear a lehenga and just forget about it. But it's like, it's, I think like a sari is really the most beautiful clothing you can have. And I would love to oh, wear beautiful. it, but it is so hard to wear. It. And having someone help you put that on is was just really special. Very intimate. Um, are these weddings the kind of affairs where the wedding is several days of celebration? Um, depends. The one in two weeks is I'm going. I'm going to New Jersey for like four days. That'll be fun. <laughs> I'll show pictures Ooh. on my Twitter. I usually do. So, yeah. Oh, please. Yeah, I can understand. That's a lot of silk to wrap around. It's not and just manage. the wrapping around. It's the pleats. It's. Mm-hmm. It's really. It's. It's. It's hard. I've. I've watched my aunt help my mom with it and I can't do it. Now I went to see a romance scene between a, a Scotsman who wears kilts and pleats his kilts and a Indian woman who needs to put on a <laughs> sari like, and have them this. help each other. <laughs> yeah, move your bagpipes, pipes, babe. I got this problem solved for you. <laughs> Carrie, what about you? Do you have a favorite scene? Um well, so my favorite two have already been mentioned, but then after that, like anything with the cool grandma. Oh, that oh, grandma. Thank you for bringing her that up. That grandma. I loved her so I, much. I worship the grandma when she walks. And, and I kind of feel like the very first scene where she talks about having a little romance with neighbor, like, like that's where in my notes I was like, oh, grandma. But I, any scene she's in is like a super happy, awesome scene. You're so right. I thank you for bringing her up because if we had recorded this whole thing and not mentioned her grandmother, I would have been like, "Damn it, that was not wise of me." She was so great. I think she was my favorite character. <laughs> I loved her romance too. I wanted to see more of it. I wonder if Nalini wrote any like short short fiction. Poor Nalini. She's gonna wake up and be like, "Sarah, what is this email?" <laughs> <laughs> for. The latest ripped bodice bingo board. There's a square for sassy grandparents. Oh, this fits. This this sassy grandparents square. (laughs) Just like the first scene where Nina's like sneaking out to go to that party where she meets Raj, and the grandma knows she's she's like, like, "Have fun here. I'll distract your parents." Like she's so great. I would really love to read a romance novel or novella about the grandma's romance with the neighbor yeah she was just adorable how that all started and and maybe it wouldn't fly because it wouldn't be super dramatic but you know she actually has a lot to her besides sassy grandma and she's recovering from loss and she's 
acting in a way that's different than what's expected of her and and in a really complicated family situation and i i, I just well, there's a moment where they go to, I think it's like a wedding and the grandmother has like chest pains and has to go to the hospital. And she asks like Nana to go over to the neighbor's house and like, let him know Aww. that she's sorry. <laughs> like, you know, sorry for bailing and explain why. And then of course, like the grandmother calls Raj when something happens to the neighbor, <laughs> but they're adorable. And I would second Carrie's suggestion of the grandmother getting her own book. <laughs> Oh, this is, I don't know if this is related. Did we talk about the fact that they're both virgins? Oh my God, that was great. (laughs) (laughs) Andy, you were in favor of this. Yeah, because he like mentions, it's like our first time. And she's like, you mean our first time together? And he's like, no, it's also my first time. It it was cute. I loved it. It That was some super hot bedtime talk. Yes. And he's so confident and yet very accepting of this. And it was like, wow. I, Aria, what was your reaction to that? Okay, there's a part of me that's like, how is it going so well if it's both their first time? <laughs> but once I got past that, I really got swept up in the fantasy and the romance of it all. So it definitely goes very well for a first time, but well, it's like, okay. It's okay. So it's funny, whenever there's like a first time scene, I always like, roll my fucking eyes <laughs> because my first time was in my boyfriend's bedroom which was painted lime green and covered wall to wall in slipknot posters that's so, very hot like, that is like that was my first time and yeah and i remember asking is this it and out loud to my boyfriend at the time no so it's so lovely when everything goes well and they're both virgins. And, you know, like, the internet exists. I'm sure they know what goes where. And they have great chemistry. But whenever it's someone's, like, first time in a book, I just have to laugh at my own first My question was, have you ever read a book where they're both virgins? Because I was thinking, well, besides this... And a few Psy Changeling, like, Psy novels. I can't think of a book where they're both virgins. It it also depends, like, how you define virginity. Because in a lot of the Immortals After Dark series, like, for example, the demon heroes, and I think we've talked about this, Sarah, they can have sex. Rystrom and and Sabine, yeah. They can't come unless they're with their, like, fated mate. Right. There's no, like... And the vampires can't have sex once they freeze, right? Yes, with their heart. Like, their heart stops beating. So, in that aspect, maybe? But in terms of a contemporary set book where no one has weird, like, sex restrictions, (laughs) um, I can't think of one. No, I, I was really when you when you posed that question, Aria, I was really thinking about it and I cannot remember the last time I read I'm sure someone will chime in with the comments like, what about oh, this sure. book? And we're like, oh dang it, that's right. What about that book? Well, I mean inspirationals, obviously, but but then in the inspirationals you never see them have the first sex. No, it's alluded the to off the page. It doesn't really apply. Which I really like reading where the first time people have sex doesn't go well. Um, and I did note that that 
that Raj points out that she's going to have to come first because he's going to be like <laughs> two seconds in the <laughs> I did love that. I loved that so much. He knows his limits. I thought that was thoughtful and realistic. So yeah, yeah, it goes well, but it doesn't go like supernaturally well where now he has the stamina to go for hours. <laughs> <laughs> oh. All right. So what grade would you give this book? I do want to mention that Elise had to tap out of this episode, but she wanted me to make sure to mention that she would give this an A and she stayed up until like 2 a.m. on a Saturday reading it. So what would you guys grade this book? Amanda, you want to go first? Sure. Um, I think I would give it a B plus. I really loved, it's kind of like a very, I wouldn't call it a slow burn, but it's like a a lovely, subtle relationship, courtship. Um, and I didn't have any main issues with the hero or heroine that like drove me up a wall. My complaints would be the aforementioned runaway scene. And it also has a lot of ups and downs that I was not expecting. Oh, yeah. This has a very um, Hollywood movie plot line. Like there's yeah. after thing after thing. Instead of like linear, it's like peak valley, peak valley. Like it's oh, yeah. just very up and down. And it has a, I wouldn't call it a trope, but an element that I don't normally enjoy in any romance. And that's kind of the villainous woman. Um, and I know that's common in a lot. The sister-in-law? Yeah. I did not like that at all. And I don't like, in any books, I don't like the jealous ex or just like the woman who's there just to cause a problem. You know what that was an allusion to, though? I, I had a feeling you know, it was like an allusion to something. <laughs> okay. You know how they keep on talking about how the, the parents watch the soap operas? Yes. And every once in a while, they'll be like, and now the sister-in-law is doing something. I saw that. I was like, like, yes. So I watch, I don't watch soap operas, sometimes in the background when I'm in the room, but um, (laughs) that that the sister-in-law is like, I know it's like, oh, we don't like evil ex. And, you know, I don't like evil ex either, but it's like the the sister, like the fact that it was a sister-in-law like causing trouble in the end by tattletaling on the yeah. grandparents, that felt very soap opera like to me. Yeah. Um, and then there was also that one-off. But she had a happy ending. She did. Like I was, so I was glad for that. There was that one-off. They, scene they all had happy endings with um, Nana's coworker who suddenly like shows an interest in her and like wants to take her to the museum. That I was like, okay, dude. Um, but also maybe I missed it. But towards the end, where there is that big scene with the sister-in-law and, like, Nana comes back and, like, puts her foot down, the um, – Raja's mom mentions that, like, she'll reveal – what's her name? Kamal? Kamal's secret? Yeah. Um, and she mentions, like, an island off of Fiji. And we – like, Kamal goes – ghostly white dirt like <laughs> but i don't know what the secret was i don't know if it was revealed and i missed no, it like, it was not revealed okay. i bet it's in a different book that drove me bonkers i was like what is the secret Drop opera. Um, but i didn't know if that was like an illusion or a reference to something yeah, that i think it's just my head. left to our imaginations oh, how boy. horrible could it be i yeah. hate that i need someone to tell me exactly what is going on um, but I would give it a B plus. I really enjoyed it. I really loved how we use this phrase a lot on the site lately, and I love it, how emotionally fluent both of the yes. main characters are. And I feel like they 
instead of like a big misunderstanding, they're very great about communicating with one another. So yeah, definitely B plus for me. This one was great. I liked it. Carrie, what about you? What would you grade this book? So I would give it a B plus. I had forgotten about the island off Fiji thing, but yeah, that was super irritating. Um, and <laughs> It was, and I, I why put that you can no, and and also um, I also did not like the storyline with the sister in law, um, in Pride and Prejudice terms, I think she would be like the Carolyn Bingley, yeah, type, but yeah, you know what? I, I I'm not crazy about the Caroline Bingley storyline either. Um, I'm sorry, I just am not with the ending. I'm I'm a dark and cynical soul. With a cold, empty heart. And the idea that... No, listen, with this regard. So the happy ending is he's going to find someone where he could delegate his work responsibilities. Uh Mm Uh-huh. Okay, maybe. And he's going to get his alcoholic brother to step up and help take care of his parents. And I'm like, honey, that's never going to happen. Even with alcoholic brother, like he may have turned a corner. He may be sober from now to the rest of his life. He may be a total mensch. But I feel like I've watched this happen in so many families, including my own, where I am not the caregiving sibling, where once somebody becomes the primary caregiving sibling to older older parents or other family members, you're really in it for life unless you have really solid boundaries. I know it's a romance. And so, you know, we we think optimistically and well of the characters around, but I'm like, yeah, no, that's that you're not gonna travel the world with the baby. You're gonna you're gonna be there forever. But you know, maybe that's maybe that's overly dark. I just yeah, Carrie, when you described I, yourself as like dark and cynical, it's like, Carrie, who hurt you? This isn't the Carrie I know. <laughs> I just, I just, in this regard, so I always joke, right, in my reviews about my cold, icy heart. But in this regard, I would say I am pretty cynical, but I am cynical based on a lot of experience, right? I feel like we well, all have yeah. a certain, like, button or issue that we really um have a lot of emotional experience with so i have one line one line that knocks it down from an a and that is wait let me let me find it is it my line because i also have a line (laughs) that knocks down from an a her breasts were sulking (laughs) oh that's not my line Not, that not cool, not cool, man. I I can't I can't roll with that. Just I would give it like a B plus 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 plus, but I can't quite give it an A because of the sulking boobs. What are you, Carrie? Are you saying <laughs> that like only I have moody pouting breasts just sulking around? <laughs> They're moody and pouting, <laughs> just really <laughs> sullen all the time. I I mean I have I have. Met you, and I don't remember thinking to myself. Wow, <laughs> 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 sulky boobs aside, Aria, what is your line, and what grade would you give? It this? goes back to that contemporary alpha thing I had earlier, and unlike, and yeah. it's 
he's really great for the most part. And there's two things that I'm like, eh, Raj. And it's, <laughs> and it's like, okay, he sees that white guy checking Nana out. Yeah. And immediately he's like, yeah. try anything and I'll break you in half. <laughs> and the guy isn't doing anything. He's just like, oh, that's an attractive woman. And he's like, maybe I should go up and get her number. And the guy, in and all fairness, Ra- like, takes it on the chin. And it doesn't, like, turn into kind of, like, a machismo sort of, like, standoff between the two of them. The guy's like, dude, she's hot. Like, what do you want? Like... <laughs> If Raj was a werewolf, I would have bought this line 100%. (laughs) But he is not a werewolf. And I was like, no, this is not something people say. Well, maybe people do say it, but I think it's creepy and bad. Nalini, can you make a short fiction where Raj turns into a werewolf? Thank you, I would watch that. And the other line, okay, you know, the sister had that friend. Yeah. Yes. Um, With the Harlow Chan. Yes. And she's... It is cute, but she's like she thinks that her parents will won't let her hang out with this boy, and Raj smooths things over, and that was good. And then he's like, as long as his sister kept the images she sent Harlow Chan G rated, Raj wouldn't have to find the boy and smash his phone to smithereens. And I'm just like, she's 17. Give me a break. <laughs> like, I like it's like these like the annoying stuff like just peeked out like like two or three times. Yeah. And that's just like it like it wasn't constant, right? It's not I don't think it's like the other contemporaries where I like I had real problems with. So it's very minor. Mm-hmm. But it's a B plus for me because of that. It's funny, the the yeah. smashing the phone thing, like that. I'm I'm never okay with scenes where like dads or brothers like assert themselves in the heroine's love life. But I have a younger brother. He's twenty five to my thirty. And He's a very serious young man, and I, I will He's get conversations serious. with him. And I've been dating the guy for three years, and he'll just want to talk. He's like, "Where do you see this going? What are his intentions?" I was like, "Listen, okay, like I was driving you to school. I am thirty years old. Leave me alone." <laughs> He's like, "I just don't want you to get hurt, sis." I was like, "I am thirty years old." <laughs> So I was more forgiving in that aspect. I would watch that television show, by the way. <laughs> Zach giving you a relationship advice. We are an I odd couple in terms You're of brother-sister relationships. You guys are adorable, though. Thanks. All right. Sarah, what's your grade? Oh, definitely a B plus. Okay. I Once I was on board with what you said, like the peaks and valleys, and once I sort of got the different – um narrative beats of this particular yeah. book i was like i am fine for as many episodes as this book holds because this is delightful um the the sister-in-law drama at the very end i was like well that kind of came out of nowhere what was what was the point of that but they just kind of needed to get to that point in their relationship where they were like uh no we're not tolerating any of this crap i loved the the epilogue so much i loved it so much um but yeah, it is a solid B plus, and I am so glad that I read this because, like you, Aria, I had stayed away from the contemporaries because I also do not like rock stars, and I don't like alpha males in contemporaries that sort of come pre-installed with a very high degree of entitlement. Um, not my thing. So yeah, I'm really I, glad we got to read this. What I think is interesting is that the I think it's the next book in the series 
is Issa and Sailor. It happens but during yeah. their book. I feel like. Yeah, it's, it's happening simultaneously to this book because at the end of Rebel Hard, they're married. So I'm assuming, yeah, Issa and Sailor's um, relationship and HEA is happening tangentially to Raj and Nana's, which I, I'm curious going on to reading that one and seeing like what I, I could pick up on in the background, if that makes any sense. Yeah. I'm always fascinated by books where the writer has two stories that are going on concurrently and they hinge at certain scenes. That's too much work. That's astonishing. Like, it's just astonishing to me. And that brings us to the end of this episode. I want to thank Aria and Carrie and Amanda for hanging out with me. And we all want to thank Nalini Singh for writing this book because we really had a good time. Most of all, thank you to the Patreon community who made suggestions as to which book we should read this quarter. And if you would like to pick next quarter's book, have a look at our Patreon, patreon.com slash smartbitches. They get a survey to tell us what book we should read. And then we look at all the answers and go, oh, wow, these are all good books. And we have to pick one. And that's going to be difficult. If you would like to email us because you have thoughts on this episode or you have suggestions, we would really like to hear from you. You can email me at sbjpodcast at gmail.com or you can leave a voicemail at 1-201-371-3272 and leave a voicemail. I love those. It's very cool when you call. You can find Aria on Twitter at Aria underscore Marsden. You can find Amanda at underscore I'm an adult on Twitter. And you can find all of us at smartbitchestrashybooks.com. This week's episode is being brought to you by Rogue Most Wanted by Jana McGregor, the latest in the Cavendish Heiresses series. It is a Smart Bitches Hide Your Wallet pick for June 2019. Yes, it is. That is true. When an upstart duke challenges Lady Theodora Worth's claim to her inherited Scottish earldom and the Lady Kirk estate, Thea is suddenly in need of a husband in name, at least. An elderly neighbor with a thoroughly modern sensibility and a dashing great-nephew just might be the answer to Thea's prayers. Ever since he was jilted as a young man, Lord William Cavendish has been entirely too devoted to his family's estate to wed, but he agrees to meet the woman his aunt has taken under her wing and introduce her to possible suitors. But after just one meeting with beautiful, spirited Thea, Will is determined to help her reclaim her title, and even more so, he can't stop thinking that perhaps marriage to this bold and passionate woman may be the one thing he's been missing all along. Redheaded Girl says that Jana McGregor writes like a warm, cozy blanket. If you love Eloisa James's humor and Christy Caldwell's passion, then Rogue Most Wanted is for you. Rogue Most Wanted by Jana McGregor will be available wherever books are sold on June 25th, 2019. The music you are listening to is provided by Sassy Outwater. You can find her at Sassy Outwater on Twitter. This is an artist from Spain who performs under the name Hevia, or in Spanish, Evia. This song is called Son del Bus Gozo, and it is from the album The Other Side. You can find this album on iTunes or at Amazon, and I will have links in the show notes. Speaking of the show notes, I will have links to all of the movies and books and television shows we spoke about 
And I will have some links to some of the videos that Aria talked about as well. Um, please be aware, they are incredibly danceable and addictive, and I'm sorry in advance. Coming up on Smart Bitches this week, it is time for one of our most popular, most anticipated posts, What You're Reading. We tell you what we're reading, and you tell us what you're reading, and then we all buy more books. I am going to be paying very close attention to this edition of What You're Reading because I am going on vacation soon and I have a lot of hours for reading scheduled in my agenda of doing absolutely nothing. So I am very curious. What are you reading that you want to tell people about? Come tell us on Saturday. We will also have reviews for audiobooks and new releases, plus a new edition of Cover Snark, another Bachelorette recap, and by request a rec league inspired by a recent podcast episode. Plus, we have Help a Bitch Out and books on sale every day. So I hope you will come and hang out with us. This week's joke is pretty terrible. But this is your prize. You get to the end of the episode, you get a joke, you get a joke that will make all of your friends cringe. That's a win-win for everybody, right? Of course it is. So here we go. You ready? How did the farmer find his wife in the fields? Give up. How did the farmer find his wife in the fields? He tracked her down. (laughs) It's so stupid. (laughs) This joke is from Claire M on Reddit. Thank you, Claire. (laughs) He tracked her down. (laughs) It's one of those really obvious ones that you get to the punchline and you're like, oh, yeah, he tracked her down. It's not very funny, except that it is because it's terrible. I love bad jokes every week. Thank you to everyone who emailed me and left comments regarding our loss of Orville, our executive sound engineer, Kat. Your uh, comments and support and condolences mean a lot, and it helps to know that you understand how awful it is when you lose a pet. But uh, (laughs) given that every other animal that lives in my house is now corralled around my desk chair, everyone here is supporting me as well. So thank you for letting me know your condolences. I really appreciate it. On behalf of everyone here, we wish you the very best of reading, and we will see you back here next week. Have a great weekend.